Hey everyone, it's Claire Berlinski with the Cosmopolicast, and we have Vladislav Davidson on the Cosmopolicast today. And you know, it occurred to me that I never introduced you properly, and anyone who's new might not know who you are. I, mean, I suppose probably everyone knows who you are by this point, but um, Vladislav is, um, you're a fellow of the Atlantic Institute, aren't you? And you write for you write for many uh, uh, the Atlantic Council, yes, Claire. But uh, it continuously, I get attacked by all these like Twitter trolls or like NATO Council, Atlantic Council, NATO, and yeah. But subscribers and uh, aren't Twitter trolls. Um, and you are the author of well, <laughs> author yes. of two books, including from Odessa with Love, which is a wonderful collection of essays about Odessa as it was before the war. And what is the most recent? Uh -huh. My new book is a another collection of essays and writings. It's from Ibdim Verlag Press and being distributed by Columbia University Press in America. It's called The Birth of a Political Nation. And it is a book about Jews, Ukraine, Russians, World War II history, post-Maidan Ukraine, Russian propaganda, and memory politics. It sounds absolutely great. I can't. I think it's kind of timely. Do I get very a, timely? Yeah, it is timely. Do I get a review copy? Not only that, you're going to be thanked on the acknowledgments as a as a as a comrade. Oh, that's very kind. You, of you. I didn't do anything though. Um, but hold on a second. I, well, I you you've supported me. You've supported me in in friendship in the course of, of the last years. Is it available for pre order? Yes, it's on Amazon.com if you want to okay, get it. So I'd, be, I'd be glad Vladislav, to have a couple of brewers. Not, not, uh, Vladislav Davidson with a Z. Um, there's a lot I want to talk to you about today. Are you in Paris right now? I am actually in Paris right now. I'm in Paris in between uh, sojourns to various places. I'm preparing my exhibition, which is starting in two weeks in Paris. So right. I'm just putting the finishing, touch, uh, finishing touches on my exhibition and a book and a big essay about Odessa. So I'm not traveling for the next two weeks, even though there's a big Odessa, uh, well, London, uh, Ukraine rebuilding conference on the 20th and 21st that everyone's going to. I may pop into the London reconstruction conference on the 20th, but on the 21st, I'm going to be exhibiting my war journals, collages, drawings, and war photography at an art gallery, the Gallery D Parsons Gallery in Romanville, Paris. And so I'm very busy just putting uh, drawings into into stretchers and working yeah. with my framers and that kind of thing. I should so have I'm not in that. Ukraine. And, uh, you, mm -hmm. I should have mentioned that you're also a talented artist um, and you were going to do a uh, decoupage for me, remember? I am. I am. Don't worry. You're going to get you're going to get a, a work. You'll come uh, to my Vernissage on the 21st. On the 21st. I can't promise, but I'd like to. Yes. Now, oh, I should also mention to our listeners that you are Ukrainian. You're a Ukrainian-American um, who used to be a Ukrainian, a, a Russo-Ukrainian American, but you have, we went to the Russian embassy together and you burned your Ra Russian passport in protest. So now you're just a Ukrainian-American. I have a lot I want to talk to you about. Correct. Um, because please. There's two major stories that I want to speak to you about. First, the attack on the dam and the destruction that's caused, and also the counteroffensive. And I think both of these stories are being drowned out because of Trump's indictment, and they really shouldn't be. They really shouldn't be. They're both incredibly important. So let's let's um, which one first, the dam or the counteroffensive? Well, I mean, they're they're obviously linked. So let's yeah. uh, obviously it's the same story in many ways. Yeah. Uh, let's yeah. start with the uh, the dam. Yeah, um, the latest that I saw is that only five people have been reported dead, which would be mercifully low if it's true. But it doesn't seem to me that's possible. Well, I mean, a lot, a lot of, you know, the waters were rising quickly, but not that quickly. It's the it's the animals which were uh, oh, which were not given mercy. I not cannot, the people. I cannot bear yeah, that. It, I just cannot it, bear it. I don't know what it says about me that I find the suffering it, of animals harder yeah, yeah. than the suffering of people, but I, I can't bear it. I said this live on France Van Kat uh, the day before yesterday, and the, and the host did, looked at me like I was a, a serial killer. And I had to, I had to quickly uh, add, I with a uh, with a uh, jocular, uh, swaggering smile. I'm from Eastern Europe. I'm allowed to say that kind of thing. But I, I said, but I I feel worse for the animals than the people. And I, uh, 
I got back. I got invited back on that television show a day and a half later. So uh, obviously they didn't take it personally. But they, they, you know, some people don't like it when you say that you care about animals more than people. But it's totally, it's totally logical. First of all, they're harmless. They're innocent. They're not cruel. They're not vicious, and they're innocent. And a lot of those animals are just in cages. All those poor animals in the zoo, and all those oh, thousands of dogs I'm, in the kennels. Crying. I'll start crying if you talk about the zoo. It's just too awful. It's just too awful. Yeah, I want. And all those dogs on on chains, which, which were trying to uh, uh, swim uh, for their for their life, and uh, and just they couldn't swim, they couldn't live. It, it's it's <sighs> such a horror. It, I, I we should have a separate a separate indictment for Putin as an regime in the IOC against crimes, not against humanity, but against animals. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Um, the thing that's the reason that this needs to be getting more attention in the U.S. than it is because people really need to understand the horror of this and understand that this was, in effect, the detonation of a weapon of mass destruction, and that it was um, that it was a probe to see how we would react to it. And the answer is, we're not reacting much. I have I have a few specific questions. Well, I mean, are there still people stranded ahead. on their rooftops, mm-hmm. unable to unable to escape? I uh, there must be yeah there must be. I mean I saw. I, I've been watching the Telegram channels. The Telegram channels and the the, the, the Ukrainian social media is full of, uh, of uh, that kind of video. There must be thousands of these people uh, still on rooftops. Yeah, and and, and, and the water the international organizations have... just aren't going in because they're being. Where is the Red Cross? They're being Where... being uh, they're being shot at by the Russians. Yeah. Well, the yeah. Red Cross is widely despised in Ukraine for its lack of. For uh, its lack of uh, wartime uh, successes, the Ukrainians hate the Red Cross. Just so you know, and they're deeply skeptical of, of of the United Nations. I think the only people who are more skeptical of the United Nations than Ukrainians at this moment are the Israelis. I don't understand how any international organization that claims to be to have a humanitarian orientation would fail to be there right now, and. Um, you know, dare the Russians to shoot them. The, the a lot of the organizations, uh, which are really truly international, have Russians on uh, on their boards of directors and high up in the elite structures. And these these are typically either career Russians or Russians who are put in by a uh, political appointment process. Right. So the U the UN in, in this situation is functionally useless in many situations because the Security Council is, um, of course. Has a veto by the Russians, so that's that's a difficult situation. What do you do about that? You do nothing. You it, set up a whole it, new security in private council. organizations like the Red Cross. A lot of the time, they just don't yes. want to put. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's 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 really yeah. I mean, that this is a a, a tangent we're going to go on, but basically, this really does threaten to do to uh, the UN what the World War One did to the League to of Nations. The League of Nations, you know, and World exactly. War, World War Two, right? No. I mean, it may be time to re- to destroy the old UN and restart over. Yeah, right just new start constitution. Fresh. You know, just start fresh. I mean, I don't know whether it would have any legitimacy because I don't know if Africa and Latin America would go along. China certainly wouldn't. But um, it, it, what what use is the UN with Russia? Well, that's a different question, but it's what it's what we should do. It's what we should do, but it's not. It's probably not what's going to happen at this point, right? What has this is why certain Biden things, even though they're horrible, need to be conserved. What has the Biden administration said about the dam? I mean, last I heard they were talking about declassifying intelligence, indicating that Russia had done it. But I haven't heard a thundering speech of any kind. I haven't heard any denunciations. Have I missed something? Uh, yeah, I, uh, maybe I missed something also. I mean, we are we are in Europe and we're six hours ahead of, uh, of America. So maybe we missed something. But yeah, I mean, the, the response has not been, let's say, radical from Washington yet. I mean, and, Biden, uh, it, it's obvious that the, the, some leadership is is missing. But Biden, it, it you know it could still it could still be a uh, an accident based on on Russian lack of capacity to, to take care of the infrastructure. I mean that, no, that's entirely no. within the realm of possibility. I mean it's still morally the Russian's fault. Mm? No, size, seismographic evidence Sorry? suggests there was the seismographic evidence suggests there was an explosion. You don't have a dam like that collapse through neglect, and they blew it up. And we even have them. I mean, you're the one who who. Uh... No, no, it's like it's ninety nine percent obvious. 
destiny. But I, like, I'm not, I'm not arguing that the that the Ukrainians do it, but did it. But like, it's only been two days, and uh, it's it's not outside the realm of possibility that uh, it, it 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 fell apart. But it's 98, 99 percent right. obvious that, uh, that the what Russians did it. The timing, obviously, yeah. and and also, it's yeah, what a coincidence. Incredibly... I'm not. Saying, I'm not saying, but like you don't have evidence. It's been two days. Mm-hmm. I, you have the. I mean, for goodness' sake, the, the idea that it just spontaneously uh, collapsed owing to lack of maintenance is completely contrary to the logic of the engineering, the logic of the timing, the logic of Russia rigging the damn things with explosives. Yeah, no, I agree with you. I agree with you. I agree. With you. Um, I of you but uh, you know we shouldn't we, we we should say it's not a fait accompli until we have like a, a week or two weeks of information it's only been like 48 hours it, it obviously the russians are responsible but did they actually blow it i mean i think that's most likely almost categorically axiomatically likely the case but i, I, I don't want to uh it happened exactly the, the way that intercepted the does, general staff suggests does that make sense yes i understand what you're saying but i think it's it's um it's uh, an unwise thing to say because it's so incredible the preponderance of evidence is so incredibly skewed toward one side and the suggestion that there might be some ambiguity about it i i agree i'm on the ukrainian side let's let's say that let's say that i haven't seen the evidence yet maybe i haven't seen all the evidence yet but uh it's i i would uh, certainly put all the money in my bank account on the russians blowing it up yes yeah um so I, I feel and that, your big that demands, if we had a president who was capable of putting two sentences together, it would demand a forceful speech, much like the kind Reagan gave in the aftermath of the downing of um, the Korean airliner. You remember that? No, you're a little too young to remember that. I mean, it right. really requires an angry... I, 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 was, uh, I was... I'm a pedestroika baby. I'm yeah. a pedestroika baby. I don't remember that. Yeah, I, I'll send you, I'll actually, I'll link to it with um, the podcast because you should watch it. It's exactly the tone and the, this is, we need a president who can speak. Um, I mean, it, it's really a requirement of the job. And if they're not, if they're keeping him from speaking because he can't do it, that's a problem. If he doesn't realize that this requires a speech, that's a problem uh, because this requires absolute international outrage and outpouring of it condemnation and retaliation i mean it, it is cause I, for saying i agree i agree we are now going to send ukraine every weapon short of a nuclear weapon and if another dam gets blown up we're taking out your black sea fleet or take out the black sea fleet or give them a nuclear yeah weapon. yeah i mean if if ukraine well i mean giving give ukraine every weapon it wants including nuclear weapons I haven't thought through the nuclear weapon stuff. Probably, yeah. Probably it's a good idea. I mean, probably it's a horrible idea in terms of escalation, but, you know, they deserve it. Sure. I, mean, I would be, I mean, if probably, Ukraine but, were to detonate, uh, it were to perform its first test tomorrow, don't you think the world would be a better place? Um, I It would take me two minutes to really think that through. Uh, I don't want to I don't want to answer that question. Yeah, I understand. You can't have a fellow of the Atlantic through. Council going on if about it, without thinking about it. You know, I'm supposed to be a responsible adult. You know, let's just say this. If, if if Ukraine had not given up its nukes in 94, 95, 96... None of this would have happened. The world would be a much better place than that. None of this would have That's happened. That's absolutely correct, yes. And yeah, Russia yeah, that is was a bad idea. Disarmament was a bad idea. Yeah. Russia is insufficiently deterred because it doesn't believe we'll actually pull the trigger... But they'd believe Ukraine would. Uh, yeah, absolutely. They would, yeah. Um, the, the the Ukrainians absolutely would in this situation. If they if they had them, they would uh they would use them. I have no doubt about. Let's let's get back to the cats. You don't want to get back to the dead cats? No, it makes me want to nuke things. Um, I have. What did you think of the intercept that you posted from the general staff? Did you not find that compelling? Uh, yeah, yeah, that's about right. I mean, it, it's it's what you would expect from um from stupid uh Russian guys talking on a cell phone. Why don't you tell our listeners what, lack what, of what it operational. says? They may not have seen it. I'll include it, but why don't you just describe it? Well, basically, a couple of maybe. Look, I've heard one uh 
intercepted conversation between a couple of uh, Russian army guys, and one of them saying the Chachli, which, which, which is a Russian slang for a Ukrainian, uh, blew up the dam. And the other guy says, no, no, our guys, our guys came in last night and they blew it up. And you know, it was a zoo and all the animals died. The guy says, holy hell. And the the Russians quickly quickly denied it, but the the, the Ukrainians made it public, and it sounds about right, you know. It sounded exactly right to me. It sounded like just what you'd expect. Yeah, I'm I'm, I'm trying to not to say anything radical in the, in the situation because there's a lot of hypotheticals, but yes, uh, I, I agree with you. Anyways, let's go on to the counteroffensive, which is obviously starting and okay. not unrelated to the dam being blown. All right. Um, I just want to want to point out one thing before we go on with that, which is that the Russian forces are um, hiding among civilians who are evacuating from flooded settlements. At least this is what the general staff says, which is a whole you know whole new problem. Um, and uh, they've they've been shelling flooded evacuation sites, even killed a civilian that way. It's just just disgusting, just disgusting. Okay, so the counteroffensive. Um, Here's what Absolutely. I understand. Tell Absolutely. me, tell me if I'm um, right to believe this. I understand that they they have begun operations in at least three sectors. Is that correct? It looks like that's the case because we we're 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 watching that unfold. Probing attacks have taken place. We already see videos of blown up leopard tanks. Mm-hmm. The first Western provided leopard tank seemed to have been uh, already destroyed by a um, uh, Russian counter counter battery fire and artillery we do have i mean i i haven't uh went to bellingcat or some intelligence agency to double check the veracity of this but it it does look like we have the first video of western made leopard tanks uh with their um lids blown off one as far as i know yeah with with some american made uh uh, bmps next to it yeah but well one is one is already a precedent one is the first one sadly this um this was in the effort to attack these uh, Zaporia Oblast, right? Zapor- Zaporozhye. Zaporozhye. In western Zaporozhye. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and as far as I understand, that was the Zaporozhye. Least, yeah. Mm-hmm. That was the least successful of the three efforts. That this is one where the Russians sort of pulled off a doctrinally correct response, a relatively coherent one. Um. And they don't seem to have been surprised. They reacted in a fairly controlled yeah, way. Very sad. Very sad for us. Yeah. Um, what do you think? Um, I mean, do you think that was a serious effort, or are these just all probing attacks designed to spread Russian forces thin and um, test the lines for weakness? I, I think. Uh, I think that the uh, Ukrainians are playing all sorts of interesting mind games with the Russians, and they have any number of uh backup plans in case one thing doesn't work so that they're uh, they're they're going around trying to create probing distractions in order to throw them off their uh, off their uh, game and get them to misplace their their troops and uh, thus create openings for more advancement yeah, armor i mean they're they're trying the russians have dug in so that they're they're trying to break through lines in in various places using mind games Right, they're trying to disguise where the major strike will be, will will really occur. Um, Correct. And the broader the range of this, the harder it is for Moscow to work out where they're eventually going to try and break through. So I think that's that's really all we're seeing. I don't see that this is meant to be inherent. Smart. Yeah, yeah. Um, and this must be why they also smart strike, striking further south, right? Correct. Yeah. I mean, they're they're uh, they have a couple of vectors that they they could go in. I mean, they could. Okay. At this point. Let's pull out the map, the one I sent you, and let's show people on the map, because I think if we just um, go through a list of names of Ukrainian towns, people aren't going to really have a coherent sense of where this is taking place. I need to go through every village and every town. I mean, no, no, I just wanted to... Basically, basically, uh, uh, there are a couple of vectors in which the Ukrainian army could go go into, you know? Mm -hmm. And they could could try to go into the south and, and try to surround Mariupol, which would be hard. They could... They could try to get uh, to Melitopol and try to get uh, drive to the Azov Sea and divide the Russian army into two. Or they can they can get to the edge of Crimea 
or they can go around uh, the the Donetsk uh, uh, Lugansk area and then try to take back territory there. Mm-hmm. It, it would it would not be um, uh, it it would not be easier to uh, to do two things at once. Although in in the past when they had a a, a, su- a successful counter offensive, they did one and then did the other one very quickly. So they are capable of doing two things at once. So I, I hope that's the case. Well, if but they can obviously take back... the Russians do have a manpower advantage. Yeah, if they can take back Zaporzhia, is that how you pronounce it? Zaporzhia. Um, it severs Zaporozhye, the... Zaporozhye. Zaporozhye. It severs the land bridge, and then they could put their forces right up against Crimea, right? Yeah, yeah. I mean, going into Crimea is uh, the holy grail. I mean, that's not going to happen yet because um, obviously there's no consensus of whether the Americans and the Europeans will back them on that. But uh, eventually, that's the final final stage of um, of the war. I mean, there's not there's not going to be Ukrainian victory without without Crimea. Well, from there, they could use it obvious. to capture Donetsk and Luhansk, mm-hmm. right? And while at the same time, it'd be psychologically just devastating for Russia. Well, I mean, you, 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 Crimea is the last place Ukrainian troops will probably go into. I mean, it's, it's, um, it's not, that's not an easy one. You would, you would start with Donetsk and Lugansk, and you'd probably surround, uh, uh, I mean, basically, there's three operational theaters around the Borja region, but not the city, which is in Ukrainian hands. Um the south uh let's divide that into uh the river and then melotopol mariupol then there's crimea and then there's donetsk lugansk right it's more likely that the ukrainians will go on the counteroffensive against lugansk it's one of the first cities to fall to russia nine years ago so it's psychologically a blow but ultimately Crimea is the real prize for both security and economic reasons. There's no security in Ukraine about, about getting rid of the Russian base in Crimea. And there's no economy about getting rid of the Russian Black Sea Fleet, which there's is no imperiling Ukrainian shipping lanes. There's no what there's no economy. There's no there's no economy. There's no export in the long term. There's no way to keep black Sea oh, I see what you mean. Shipping Ukraine lanes. Not, yes, open. I understand what you mean. I, I thought you were saying something else. I understand. There's no basically. There's no way to have an economy for Ukraine, an mm-hmm. export economy, without right. getting the Russians out of Crimea in the long yeah. term. A lot of a lot of Ukrainians say it started with Crimea. It's going to end with Crimea. That makes sense to me. I mean, there's, yeah, it it completely cripples Ukraine as a middle income, a prospective middle income country if they can't export. Right. I mean, it's an agricultural country and yeah. it, it most of its a- agricultural exports went over the sea. Now, uh, there is a grain deal in place now, which is uh, something that's very interesting and it's continuously in peril. I'm mm-hmm. going to write about I'm going to write about uh, that soon for somewhere like um, uh, uh, the uh, foreign policy magazine. But it's it, it's comp- it's continuously in peril. The, the the grain deal and yeah there you, are no there are there's no future economically for the country without it it's just that simple should we tell listeners about what just happened with the ammonia pipeline because they may un, may not know about that yeah go ahead it's very uh, sad it's the, i don't remember what it's called it's the, what's the name of the pipeline it's the biggest ammonia pipeline in um in europe right and uh it, yeah mm-hmm. yeah it's to odessa yes and um it just got blown up as well, and and in this case, I think it's it's actually difficult to attribute the attack. I I, I think it could have been shelling from Ukrainians just as easily as from Russians. Um, not only is this another environmental catastrophe and a d- very dangerous, toxic one, but the Russians are now using this as the excuse to say they're going to renege on the grain deal. Also, yeah, the, the it, that's uh, that's the ammonia is very important because it's fertilizer. Ammonia is very very. Correct, and it, it it could also lead to uh, uh, a lot of people dying from poisoning ammonia. Mm-hmm. I mean, it, it it it's it, it it doesn't go up high. If you release ammonia into the atmosphere, it, it it will quickly settle. It's not the the best toxic gas to to use uh, in in war, but it, it could cause a lot of problems for people, health problems, especially for older people. Russia, it's not, yellow, it's not mustard gas, but it, it's not. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, Russia really wanted this pipeline open again because that's the route by which Russia exports its ammonia, and um, 
is now saying that because the pipeline was damaged, it's going to, it's threatening to pull out of the grain deal, which is yet more insane blackmail. I don't, I don't even understand what they're thinking about this. Do you? Well, look, look, the grain, the grain deal politics is that the uh, Russians are continuously trying to extract more concessions on what it is that they can uh, take out through the grain deal and, and what kind of sanctions get taken off. So, uh, they everyone wants the grain deal, but uh, the question is, what is everyone willing to pay for it? So the Russians, every two, three months, they both sides have to sign off on the grain deal again. And every time they uh, ratchet up their demands and they're trying to get more concessions from the Ukrainians, that's what they do. Uh, I don't know what the concessions are going to be this time, but the um, the Ukrainians are... Uh, uh, you know they're they're keen to have that grain deal, so they 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 might give something up. Maybe tell the audience about the uh, the secret negotiations that were held in in uh, Turkey. I don't know about them. Tell us. Uh well, so there there are continuous back channel negotiations taking place in Turkey because the Turks are the guarantors of this deal. So uh, the, the 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 Turks now fresh off an election may may return to the table. Because they were they were a little bit out of out of the game for a little bit, but for the obvious reason that they had an earthquake and an election, it wasn't um, th- this wasn't the, the biggest issue on Erdogan's plate. It may be now again now that he uh, has a uh, another mandate. Well, they've got uh, Hakan Fidan is the new fire, foreign minister, and he, um, well, he's more professional than uh, Chavlut, and he'll be wanting to make a mark. Well, you're 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 better on. On Turkey than I am. I I uh, I, I bow down to your Turkish uh, expertise. Well, it's in my Turkish expertise isn't very important here. I was just trying to think about how how the new cabinet might affect this. They're going to pursue the same objectives exactly. Um, although they will probably they will. Yeah, they're going to pursue the same objectives. The question is bandwidth. The question no one's going to change yeah. the objectives. Yeah. Uh, nationalist, liberal, conservative, whoever was going to be in charge of Turkey, the the objectives would have been the same and the interests would have been the same. The question is how much energy was there? Right. And there wasn't a lot in the last two months. There might be more now. I so do that's, a, that's probably good thing for Ukrainians. Yeah, I do think we'll see Sweden admitted to NATO pretty quickly because Erdogan has no reason to make an issue of it now. Well, there, there, are, there are a lot of interesting side stories going on in the, in the, um, in the Grand Corridor. And I mean, we'll see how it all plays out, but there, there are a lot hearing? of a lot of very interesting side stories. Well, the, the, in the fog of war, there are people in Ukraine who are trying to take assets from each other. The uh, the, the Turks obviously are not uh, stepping up pressure on the Russians in order to speed up the uh, inspections of the ships. The Ukrainians obviously are pissed off that the inspections take like a month and a half or a month, and they should be taking like twelve hours. For the obvious reasons, Who's it slows doing the down trade. The inspections have to do. Uh, the inspections are done by everybody, actually. So the 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 Russians get to inspect a the ship. The Turks have to inspect it, and uh, they on the way back out of a Bosphorus, the 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 ships have to uh, be checked for weapons, which is of course completely insane. The 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 Ukrainians are not going to be uh, steaming weapons in through the Black Sea in those empty container ships once they. Once they come back uh, out, of, out of their grain run, why not? Uh, that would be that the would Russians be are keen for not to be any weapons. Of, I mean, I that would be an inefficient. That'd be a very inefficient way to bring them in, Claire. Would it? Uh, and it's yeah, Those are huge. It's insane. I mean, like yeah, that's, yeah, Claire. That's the kind of thing you get caught once. Uh, you get a divorce. You know, it's like. <laughs> Well, I just, uh, there's no reason to do it because they've got um, a land bridge and no one no one is trying to prevent weapons, except for Russia, no one's trying to prevent weapons from getting to Ukraine. So, I mean, there's no particular reason to do it that way. But I don't... Yeah, it's not, they have not... The, the Ukrainians have not had their arms convoys bombed. Or at least they don't make a big deal. They don't make a public uh, thing about it. But the, the Russians know where the weapons are coming from from uh, EU countries, and they're not bombing them on arrival on the Polish border, the Romanian border, or, or the, uh, uh, or the you know, through Moldova or whatever. They're, Which they're just surprises not. me. So, I mean, I understand why they're not bombing know, why, NATO why, countries, why, but why not bomb them as soon as they arrive? 
that's a good technical question. There's a lot about this war that's hard to explain. Why haven't the Russians bombed Ukrainian rail lines? Why haven't the Russians done a lot of things which they could have? The Russians uh, have held back some capacity, and they turn out not to have other capacity that they claim to have. It's always interesting why they didn't do something. Can they not do it, or are they making a military decision for military reasons not to do it? And often it's uh, it's the latter, but very often we thought that they had capacities which they actually, frankly, turn out not to have. Well, that they haven't they haven't bombed the supply lines just makes no sense to me. I mean, that's the first thing you'd want to bomb, presumably, and it's the sort of thing that would make other countries reluctant to keep sending weapons if they just kept getting destroyed the second they entered Ukrainian territory. So I do find that bewildering, and I can't even imagine what the logic of it could be. I mean, it's one of those things where being intelligent people with not enough information, we say noted, but unexplained. Right, right. Um, you know, it, it's absolutely the case. It's interesting. It is really interesting. Why have they not blown up the rail lines into Poland? I mean, you could. They haven't done that. Uh, Ukrainians seem to be extremely mm -hmm. good at repairing things quickly. It may be that they have been trying, but, you know, they just get... They have. Yeah, they have some things that we probably don't hear about because the Ukrainians have no interest in in letting us know that. Yeah. How much green is getting out right now? Um, So that's an interesting question. The... uh, well, the, the politics is really, uh, really, really, really complicated because the Europeans, including the Moldovans and the Poles, put a clamp down on Ukrainian grain exports uh, yeah. through the border, the glut in the European markets, uh, de- destroyed prices for Moldovan and uh, Polish and, and Hungarian and Romanian farmers. Mm-hmm. So at a certain point, the Europeans were like, solidarity, solidarity, but our citizens' livelihood is being destroyed. So the, 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 Europe, the Eastern Europeans have actually clamped down on exports for that reason. Right. Uh, the Ukrainians have tried to shift uh, their exports from the, uh, from the three big deep water ports in my native Odessa, which mm-hmm. are all, of course, uh, on the Black Sea and, uh, and are mined from both sides, uh, to the river, to the Danube, around Romania and Moldova. Mm-hmm. Right. But those are those are those are very shallow water ports. So you, you just can't have very, uh, very deep hulls on big ships, container ships going up a river. You mm-hmm. can't send a huge tanker up a, up a river where you can up the up the sea. Right. So those little ports, the four or five on, on the Danube, mm-hmm. they, they don't have the same capacity. They just a, a ship with a, a hull that's deeper than 18 meters. You just can't it, it just can't go up up a, a river, you know. It's just too wide. It's too big. It's too deep. It's too thick. It's too everything. Mm-hmm. So uh, of the of Ukraine's eighteen ports, uh, like three or four of them are occupied in Crimea. Another three or four uh, are occupied in uh, 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 Mariupol, or what's left of it, uh, in uh, um, uh, uh, Berdyansk. And uh, Nikolaev is, of course, uh, too close to uh, Russian. Uh, Black Sea guns in order to be useful. That's more of a uh, a ship construction port anyway. The three big ones, which accounted for like 70% of all exports from Odessa, are now marginally useful. I think they're probably at like 20% capacity, although I haven't checked the statistics uh, uh, recently. But let's say let's say one-fifth capacity, for argument's sake, right? Mm-hmm. And the ones on the Danube have taken up a lot more business, but they just can't uh, take up enough of the of the capacity to make up for uh, for the three deep water ports in in Odessa. So let let's say like thirty five to forty percent of pre war capacity over water is being used, and they've doubled or tripled or even quadrupled the the capacity over rail. But the Europeans don't want it anymore because it's just creating a glut in their in their secondary market. Can't they ship it on? They can, but it's it's logistically it's really difficult. You 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 create gluts of it. Where do you ship it to? You know, it's you 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 There's put a it. Lot of by rail. Yeah, okay, but think about it. You you get it by you get it from let's say Kherson by rail to Romania. Then mm-hmm. Romania has to go somewhere else. You you have to put it from one train onto another train. 
uh, into grain silos, then you have to have someone buy the contract and then send it on to uh, uh, another port. And then it becomes exorbitantly expensive to do that, right? And the um, logistics is very difficult. And also the fact that it, it accrues in those, uh, those grain silos, it decreases the cost tremendously of local grains. So the, the Europeans are actually now engaged in uh, anti-dumping uh, uh, price controls. Well, it shouldn't decrease the it, price it's of all really interesting. It's, it's all meant to go to, say, Somalia. But I mean, it, it, it's in the local market. I mean, you, you buy, I mean, it's not like, uh, I, this reminds me of a, of a conversation that I had once with um, the, um, the bird keeper of a, uh, uh, of a Ukrainian uh, bird sanctuary on the Romanian border in the Danube. I was on the Danube once going down the Danube in a, in a boat. And we arrived at the south of Odessa region, right, where uh, it, 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 there's a, a border. And then there were birds flying between uh, the Romanian sanctuary and the Ukrainian sanctuary. And one of these Ukrainian gentlemen, this was about 10 years ago, he says to me, you know, it's so annoying to me. The Romanian birds, they come over the border and they eat our birds' food, <laughs> you know? It's, you know, it's like, it's the same with grain. Grain doesn't have a nationality. Once it's, once it's in a given market, it's just grain. It just goes into the, the market, right? Like you can't, you can't market with a flag like an opportunity for a European program to purchase this grain and donate it to countries that are now experiencing famine. Okay, well, uh, Claire, I, I, I'm happy to vote for you uh, uh, to be my representative in the Strasbourg Parliament. Uh, <laughs> you know, that's a good idea. Why not? Well, it is well, a good idea. Have been, it's a great idea, and, and and smart, nice, and smart, nice people have floated ideas like that in the Strasbourg Parliament. There's a lot of internal agriculture politics within the European Union uh, yeah. bloc. I mean, yeah, this no is kidding. one of the really interesting side stories. Uh, it's funny how we got off of uh, the counteroffensive onto European agriculture policy, but it's it's a nice tangent. There, there's a lot of interesting and very complex politics that's going to take place once all this is over, with european agriculture subventions to their own farmers i mean ukraine is an agricultural powerhouse if you allow it into the european union it's automatically going to take up like a fifth of the um, or a sixth of all the seats in the european parliament and it's going to have every right to uh, european tax breaks and european subsidies for agriculture, like billions and billions and billions of them. So it, it's fundamentally baked in to the politics of the European Union and Ukraine is the fact that Ukraine is a very competitive agricultural superpower that uh, at a certain point, European farmers' interests are not aligned with Ukrainian farmers' interests. I don't Does mean that to impress you, but is Ukraine going to continue to be an agricultural superpower after the dam? Look, I mean, like, look, I, I mean, obviously some land was, was flooded, but I mean, Ukraine is an agricultural superpower and there's still a lot of other uh, farmland in Ukraine. Some I mean, land was flooded, but like also third... the water was diverted. And I mean, there's a ton of land that is no longer going to get any water. It's going to be desertified. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. I mean. How long will it take well, to rebuild that dam, I wonder? <sighs> This is like the everyone knows that the the uh, secondary effects of what what happened uh, economically, politically, uh, ecologically are going to take years to understand, let alone uh, fix. So I don't I don't have an answer for you because the the question is is so monstrous because the the lake that was being held back is about the size of the greater London area. The question is so big. That question is so big that I don't, I can't possibly give you an answer. I'm sorry. I mean, the Soviets built it in the 60s. Is that right? The dam? I think the mid 50s, 60s. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So those were good at building things, actually. Yeah, they were. But as, as I understand it, building it was an incredibly destructive process that killed a lot of people and destroyed a lot of, I mean, as dam building usually is. And correct. To do it again, I mean, it's best to do it as soon as possible so that you're not doing, you're not, you don't have three total ecolog ecological catastrophes 
or not to do it at all, to decide there will be a different, you know, the, the Ukraine is just going to adapt to the natural, the natural flow of that river. Yeah, it's, um, it's a really, it's a really uh, strikingly difficult question. No, no doubt, no doubt. Um, all right. So here in my thesis, which you probably remember because I wrote about it, is that we are putting ourselves uh-huh. in real danger by not responding appropriately to this abomination that um, Putin is watching to see what he can get away with. And the answer is really quite a bit. When you have every media organ in the West doing a who could it possibly have been who could have destroyed that damn business Leaders, well, some leaders have responded very forcefully and effectively, but the U.S. president hasn't. Neither is the Secretary of State. Um, Correct. It's a green light to continue doing this, and I don't think he even needs to detonate a tactical nuclear weapon when he can just keep destroying dams. Uh yeah. I mean, this is a this is the 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 central German question. Yeah, I don't have an answer for you, Claire. It's a, it's not it's not a good look, as the kids say nowadays. It's not a good look. You agree with me, though, that it's... it's Absolutely. Really, you know, do you? Because... Absolutely. 10,000%. You, uh, you and I often agree. I uh, I think uh, I trust your uh, judgments implicitly. I agree with you like 95% of the time. No, I, there's, there's no a, an appalling article in CNN, three theories about how the dam... I mean, giving equal weight to the idea that Ukrainians destroyed it as the idea that Russians destroyed it. This is sickening me, all these people who are insisting that Ukraine did this to itself. It's it's like coming across a woman who's been brutally raped, is bleeding, is utterly traumatized and saying, why did you do this to yourself? Yeah, yes, there's there's a lot of that. And uh, the the West still hasn't adapted to the new information uh, environment, so... I don't think um, I don't think this is a a new question for us. Putin postponed his annual press conference. Did you see that? Uh, I think it's the second time it happened. Yeah. Yeah. It just it just flashed across the transom. I was wondering what the significance of that is. The, the significance of that is quite obvious. He doesn't want to answer questions. This is this is that's not a hard one. Claire. He doesn't. Well, he has no what? interest in 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 answering any kind of uncomfortable questions, even sure, in a controlled environment. He does just. Well, look it. it looks weaker not to be in control of a situation he just doesn't want to yeah yeah what uh, what what uh, percentage is there in him answering those kinds of questions right now none for him so i mean they they rightly and understandably uh, said no we're not doing it this year do we have any sense of whether moods are shifting in russia or i mean i know that uh, in the areas that are beginning to be attacked by um Russians who've gone to the Ukrainian side, I've seen things to the effect that they're suddenly thinking, why are we in this war? Yeah, I mean, look, the the the, the Russian population, 75 percent of it, do are willing to tolerate this as long as they don't have to personally pay the price. Right now that now that they see the Kremlin being buzzed, that wealthy neighborhoods outside of Moscow, where the elite live, are being bombed. By uh, by drones that there are, uh, that there are Russian conscripts getting killed on the on the you, you, on the Russian side of the border. Suddenly, they have to start thinking about life, and the longer this goes on, the more they'll have to start thinking about their life. You know. Well, is it apt to make them think we don't want to do this anymore? Is it apt to infuriate them to the point that they want to fight more? That's a good question. I mean, it it, it looks weak. Putin can't even keep the uh, ragtag uh, volunteer legion of the uh, of the deserters from his standpoint from reinvading uh, Belgorod. It looks weak. I mean, this is imperial an imperial army that was supposed to take care of this in uh, in four days, and suddenly mm. they're, they're the the Ukrainians are fighting on Russian territory. It mm. just looks bad. Mm. Mm. I mean, the 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 Russians are already paying the economic price. Now they're going to be paying the psychological price also, and and it mm-hmm. just doesn't look good from the standpoint of the regime. So, I I applaud it. The uh, uh, it turns out it was a brilliant decision from from the Ukrainian standpoint to just go go in and and fight the Russians on Russian territory. There were people within uh, U- Ukrainian internal political circles who thought it was a bad idea. It was about escalation, taking villages on the. On the on the Russian side, even deniable. I mean, obviously the 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 
Ukrainian intelligence services are running these operations mm. with de- deniable proxy forces, which are led by Ukrainian officers, right? Mm. Um, but it, it, it turned out to have been a wonderful idea. And, and the Russian underbelly is just that, an underbelly. What do you make of the Washington Post deciding on the day the counteroffensive begins to publish that stuff about Nord Stream? Uh, yeah, I don't. Yeah, I, I don't. I don't know. I don't know what the what the decision process, decision making process would be. I'm actually friends with um, two of the two of the team in in Ukraine. Uh, Isabella, the uh, the head of of um, she's a Odessa and a fellow Brooklynite. Uh, she's a friend. Mm-hmm. So also uh, the their longtime Kiev correspondent. Uh, David Stern is a dear friend. I don't want to say anything about the the, the Washington Post's editorial judgment because the two people I, I care about are involved in that, and I don't want to second guess them. It seemed to me to be, I mean, since it wasn't news, since the documents had been released ages ago, and you could choose any day to publish that, why publish it on that day? Maybe I'm reading too much into it, but if they didn't think well, look, investigations that, take a long time, and there, there's a lot of internal politics and the internal politics on when to publish something uh, may have taken place over a course of months. And then they just publish and uh, events, dear boy, events, you know, that that does happen. Yeah, well, it was you total know? tanky bait. It was tanky bait. Yep. Yep, absolutely. I, I agree with that. There's nothing are, to disagree with. As emotionally, I mean, do you get as outraged as I do with the tankies, or is it just me? Is it just my problem? I should get over it. I don't. I don't even care anymore because they're just they're just stupid, and they're like I, I don't. I I don't like it when academic leftists, well, tweet at me who I've known socially tweet at me. Well, you're but you're you're a NATO spokesman. You're a spokesman for NATO. I don't like that. Those people I want to punch in the face. The, the tankies. Right is, the left. I don't care. The right is worse than the left. Did you see that obscene Tucker Carlson broadcast? Yeah, yeah. I, I mean, yes. I think he's very bad. I think he's, um, and he, he did go full in on anti-Semitic stuff this time. Yep. I, I don't think he knows where the borders are anymore. I don't think he cares anymore. But he, yeah. This is a this is for him a useful pretext for pimping his own morality and feeding meat to his base, uh, and it, that's a sad thing for us. Yeah, it is a sad thing. Well, tell us about Khan. Okay, yeah, before we wrap up, I just came back from a Cannes Film Festival. I write a, an annual diary for, for Tablet Magazine. It was a lot of fun. I wrote an 11,000-word diary from the Cannes Film Festival. Uh, please, if you have time, read it. I think it's rather amusing. It is. It's very funny. I think also, it's also, you know, you get a good sense of what's going on reading it. Tell us one anecdote from Cannes. I'm so full of stories, Claire. I don't, I don't remember which ones. The Ukraine politics calmed down a little bit this year. There were a lot of uh, bare-breasted uh, women who tried to get on the thing and, and Ukrainian models who uh, splashed themselves with blood before going on the red carpet. There's a lot of that. There was less Ukrainian-centric politics than last year. And obviously, the Cannes uh, Film Festival honchos hate that stuff. So they, they make a point of, of, of trying to keep national politics out of Khan. Yeah. But because of how deeply important this is to european politics and how much moral credibility ukrainians have they can't they can't totally get away with having nothing uh, uh about ukraine in the festival so they they allowed uh, uh the reading of uh lesa ukrainka poetry on the on the opening night uh by a famous actress they um they didn't allow demonstrations this year like they did last year on the red carpet and there were no ukrainian films this year for the obvious reason mm, mm. you know uh, ukraine hasn't made an an oscar or con worthy film this year because well the film industry is not working very well oh, right congratulations now congratulations to regina for her um was is it a, a grant yeah yeah my wife my ukrainian uh, franco-ukrainian film producer wife, Regina Marinovska-Davidson, my heart, my my better half. She was one of uh, 11 recipients of uh, European European Solidarity Grant for uh, filmmakers, Ukrainian filmmakers. Mm-hmm. Ukraine, Ukraine got a European Solidarity Fund uh, to a tune of a couple of million euros, and they distributed like 60,000 euros to 11 projects each so far. 
five in production, six in post-production. Ninety Euro- Ukrainian films applied for. Ten uh, percent got them. My wife was one of the recipients of of these prizes. So it's a That's fabulous, good thing. So what's yeah, so she's going to be making it? It's going to be a wonderful film made by a very talented young uh, Ukrainian filmmaker by the name of Olga Chernyk, mm-hmm. and it's going to be about a family of three generations of women doctors from Donetsk mm-hmm. who have to flee from Donetsk and then uh, to Kiev and from Kiev to Europe. It's a multi generational story of exile. Is it a documentary in, uh, or or a fiction? Yes. Oh, it's a documentary. Okay. A very artistic documentary, very right. artsy documentary, right. actually. Right. right. It's right. going to be really, uh, really, really lovely, I think. So I, I, I'm really looking forward to that. How's Regina doing? How's she holding up? You know, better. She, mm-hmm. she had a, it was very difficult for her, obviously. I'm not, I'm not going to lie. She had a, she had a difficult uh, couple of months. She had depression. Uh, my, my wife lost her mother to COVID and the war, then the war started. And she had, had some very difficult times and um yeah it's it's been a very difficult time for my family i'm not gonna lie uh she's doing better she's in poland right now working on co-production of a of a ukrainian french film coming back tomorrow uh it's very exciting for her that after two years of work her film uh picture to number is gonna get funded and and Great. be out in the world so it's exciting things are going a little bit better sure Okay, <laughs> I'm in. Uh, I have to go to a flea market to pick up. I have to go to a flea market to pick up more um, uh, uh, antique frames for my for my show. Can we go to the flea market together to pick up? Yeah, absolutely. I frames? need to get frames too because my friend Judith. Um, I don't think you met her. No, she was in town and she painted two beautiful paintings for me. So I need fun frames. Right. So let's go together on Sunday to the flea market before yeah. uh, uh, before we we. Before we have a, a brunch to which our our esteemed listeners are not invited, or you guys could, or could make brunch this time. That way, I wouldn't have to clean my apartment. You want to come? Yeah, fine, come over. Yeah, okay, yeah, that's right. <laughs> okay, fine. We can we can we can discuss this without other people listening in. So okay. thank you, Claire. Claire thank you as always um, uh, for a lovely conversation, and I thank hope this you. was educational. I, it was. Uh, right. Okay. Thank All you, right. Claire. Bye bye. You in the weekend. Bye bye. Kisses. You too.